The scripture reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 10, which I think is on page 10 in the Bibles. Genesis chapter 10. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Triaz. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Raphaeah, and Tog Amara. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim, and the Dodim. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans and by their nations, each with his own language. The Hamites, the sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Sheba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabtaka, the sons of Ramah, Shema, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Reboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Luddites, the Anamites, the Lehabites, the Nephthalatingites. <laughs> Patrozites, Calchites, from whom came the Philistines and the Caphrodites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvadites, Semarites, and the Hamatites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gehar as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zebulim as far as Lasha. These are the descendants of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Aser, Arphax, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Geter, and Meshech. Aphaxadad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. 
His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Al-Modad, Shelef, Hazaram of Eth, Jerah, Hador, Am, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimel, Sheba, Ofer, Havilah, and Joab. Of all these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And now we're turning to chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so reads the word of God. Thank you. Les, really grateful to you. I'm going to avoid Les after the service because I know I'll be in trouble. <laughs> um, please do keep Genesis 10 and 11 open in front of you, and you're probably going, What on earth? Um, these were real people, real families real nations. Let me ask for God's help as we come to his word. Let me pray. Our great God and Father, as we sit here as real people in real families in a real nation, we praise you that we can hear from you the true and living God, the real God. Thank you for this word before us. We pray that you'd help us to hear what your voice is saying to us today through it. And we pray that it would lead us to the Lord Jesus, your living word, the ultimate fulfillment of, of all of what you want to say to us. So speak to us for our eternal good and for your glory, we pray. Amen.
Heard this phrase? Many hands make light work. Yeah? The idea that, um, you know, it's easier to achieve stuff together than on your own. Um, I mean, in fact, we can achieve things we could never achieve on our own if we do stuff together. Let me give you a couple of sort of simple examples. So here was Hannah up here playing her violin, um, very accomplished violinist. Now, if I said to Hannah, um, on your own, I want you to play a symphony, she would not be able to do that. If you know anything about classical music, you'd know you need an orchestra for a symphony. Or, um, so you may not know this, um, I've not witnessed it, but apparently Conor Deering is an excellent footballer. And he was playing in the Irish Preachers Conference sort of afternoon football thing, and some of the guys who are very good footballers said, that guy Connor's very good. Now, if you put Connor on his own against uh, another football team on a Saturday afternoon, how do you think he'd get on? Probably not great. Even Connor needs a team. We can achieve more together than apart. And maybe as we think about our world, isn't that what our world needs? We can see the difference that cooperation makes. So whether it's the peace process in, the, in Northern Ireland or, or the fact that we've not had a repeat of World War II, United Nations, NATO, things like that have helped. Cooperation. Maybe the answer to our problems in, in our lives, are, are the things we get stressed out about, we can't cope with on our own, or, or our loneliness. Maybe the problems in our world, hatred, division, well, the answer is we just need to work together more. Put aside our differences. A more united, united nations. Is that what we need? Real community? We've been looking at Genesis, if you remember, and at the start. Wasn't it wonderful? God created a perfect world. It was paradise. There was just beauty everywhere you looked. It would have just made you gasp creativity, such variety. And there was harmony between one another and between mankind and God. And the world was at rest, just enjoying mankind, enjoying the world and enjoying God and God enjoying them. And then sin came. We thought we could do better without God in the picture. And sin entered the world in us. And what we've been seeing in these early chapters of Genesis is a pattern. There's this new beginning, and then there's sin, and judgment, and yet grace, and mercy. And here at the beginning of chapter 10, it's another new beginning. Look at verse 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons, after the flood. Here is life after the flood, a new beginning. And again, what we see is God's kindness. Again, despite all that mankind have done, God is not done with mankind. He still has a purpose, a plan. And so Noah has kids, and they have kids, and they have kids, and so on and on. And they become the nations. And do you think, well, do you know, what if, what if they had really tried to cooperate 
and get on with one another. They'd learned from the flood. They'd been a community. Well, well, wouldn't the world then and the world now be such a much better place? Here's the shock. In chapter 11, that is exactly what they did. And it made things worse. Here's the first thing we're going to see. Mankind's community. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They move eastward and settle in this plain in Shinar. And there is real community. Just listen to how together they are. Verse 3, they said to each other, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They had one language, and they were of one mind. Now, I don't know, did they have lots of committee meetings and votes to get to this point? We don't know, but what we do know is they were all agreed. They said, come let us build. Let us settle, build this city, this great tower. Now, the very observant of you might have noticed that uh, chapter 10... We had all this spreading out going on and multiplying and different people groups and then nations and languages. And yet when we get to the beginning of chapter 11, there seems to be one language. So have a look at chapter 10 just to see the spreading out. So verse 5, from these the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Or verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their clans and families in their territories and nations. Or verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Or 32, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Different nations, different languages. So what on earth is going on? Chapter 11, verse 1. Is this a mistake? Well, we're not supposed to read chapter um, 11 as chronologically after chapter 10, as sort of coming after 10 in time. Um, There's actually debate as to whether chapter 11 maybe comes at the beginning of chapter 10, or even partway through. Happy to chat to you about that afterwards. But what is going on here is chapter 10, we're sort of seeing the wide-angle view, the big-picture view. And then chapter 11, we zoom into a specific situation. It's a little bit like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and it helps us to understand why, why the scattering and languages happened. Why didn't the writer put it the other way around? Well, more on that later. Chapter 11, here they are, settled, working together. And you think, 
doesn't look worse. What is God's problem? Why is he needing to interfere here? What we need to realize is that, yes, this is mankind doing community and cooperation, but it's mankind's ungodly community. What's the problem? The problem is not what they are doing. Do you remember, we saw this earlier in Genesis, that when we invent and build and um, work, well, we're using the gifts that God has given us. We're imaging the God who made us, who is the ultimate inventor and builder and worker. The problem isn't that they're speaking the same language. What is the problem? Well, look at verse 4. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The problem is not that they are working together, but why they are working together. It's for themselves. What have you enjoyed uh, doing this week? What have you done? What have you built, maybe? What have you cooperated on and achieved? Why have you done those things? God gives us everything. He gives us life. He gives us His world. He gives us the the strength, the gifts and abilities that we have, the relationships, so that we use them for the good of the world and for the glory of God. makes us most fulfilled, most free. That's not what the settlers in China think, is it? We'll do what we want. Let us build the city, the tower. They don't recognize how glorious God is, how kind He has been to them, that He's given them everything. They say, let us make a name for ourselves, for our own glory. How could they? And yet I do the same. Actually, I I guess part of the reason that you are willing to keep me as your pastor and part of the reason why I stand up here and and, uh, try and preach to you is that you think God has given me some level of gift. And yet every week I battle. Every week I battle as I use this gift to use it, not for my own glory, but for God's. Not, not so that I'm puffed up or, or I can say, you know, look at me how great I am. But so I can say, look at our glorious God and all His glory. But that battle is there every day as I work on this. Where do you feel that pull? That pull for your own glory. Maybe you're building your image. It's the way you post things online or how you dress. Maybe it's building that reputation. You choose to hang out with these folk at school, but not those folk. You you long for that affirmation from that person at work. Or you're building that perfect family. You're so devoted to them. Everything else 
is left aside. Or you're building that career. It's why you work so late every night, week after week. But you know, it's not just us as individuals who seek our own glory. What, what are you working on at the moment together with others? Maybe in work life, maybe in church life. I mean, there's no doubt that cooperation together can achieve some really good things. But it can also lead to things that oppose God. As we cooperate with others, why do we do it? Do we do it with hearts that serve Jesus? Or do we do it for ourselves? Do you know in Genesis 11, it's... They seek security. That's what I think is going on as they say, we don't want to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They seek that because they long for their own glory and they're afraid that they'll lose it. And we know this, don't we? We long for beauty and we're terrified of every wrinkle that appears. We, we long and love sport and athleticism and we're terrified of someone being faster or stronger we live for our work and we're so scared of keeping that job of getting that contract of getting that promotion of it not happening we live for family and we're terrified that they'll let us down embarrass us leave us it may seem that these Shinar settlers, well, it, it was just reasonable, wasn't it? They wanted to keep safe, protect themselves, seek their own security. But as they did so, it showed in their hearts. They did not know what God was like. They didn't trust him to look after them. And it leads them to do the opposite to what he has directly told them to do. Um, this is a question for you, okay? So I need an answer back. Um, can you remember when God made mankind, male and female, what did he tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply. Thank you. Brilliant. What about when Noah came out of the ark? What did God tell Noah and his family to do? Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. To fill the earth. Not to stay in one place. And so here they do the opposite to what God says. What does God do? Well, here's the second thing we're going to look at. God's diversity. Um, <clears throat> forgive the accent. Uh, do you recognize this quote? Stick a hand in the air if you recognize this quote. That's not a knife. That's a knife. Anyone able to stick a hand in the air? Okay, it's definitely a generation who stuck their hand in the air. This is an old film. It's called Crocodile Dundee. Um, if you've not seen it, it's not really worth watching. That's really the best bit of the film, and you can watch that clip on YouTube in about 60 seconds. But anyway, what's going on in that moment is this Australian guy, Mick, is uh, in New York with his lady friend, and this guy comes up with a flick knife, and he pulls it out, and he, he says, give me your wallet. And uh, he looks at him and goes, that's not a knife. And he pulls out his big machete. He says, that's a knife. This flick knife is just pathetic, 
this tiny little knife in comparison. Look at verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Here's the tower that's supposed to reach to the heavens. And here's the irony in the text. God's got to come all the way down to see this. It's so pathetic. It's so tiny. Man's efforts. So often, that's what they are, aren't they? You know, God is not disturbed by how great the tower is. No, it's by why they build it. And so, this is what he says. Verse 6, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. He's not saying mankind can do anything. They're sort of superhuman, superheroes. No, what he means is there'll be no limits, no end to the evil they will do. And so God acts. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Mankind say, come, let us build. God says, come, let us confuse. And so verse 8, the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. I'd actually love to have been there. Wouldn't it have been fascinating, you know, watching sort of Josiah and Joseph, these two lads, you know, making their bricks, putting them together, having the chats. And then, uh, you know, Josiah's speaking to the other one, and he's like, I don't understand a word you're saying. So he talks back, and he doesn't understand a word he's saying. God acts. And actually, what he does, he judges and yet he's also gracious because what he is doing here is limiting sin. He doesn't want there to be a world where there is no end to the evil that mankind can cause. Now, as we look at what God does here, we need to be careful in how we understand God's judgment. Some have thought that because he does this, he, he judges this way that he confuses language, that that means that all diversity, all different languages are all negative. Actually, this is God fulfilling his plan. This diversity is part of filling the earth. Why is chapter 10 before chapter 11? I think it's firstly to show that all people are equal. They're all of the same family, all of the same race. No apartheid, no penal laws, no racism should happen. But also, that the scattering and diversity we see in chapter 10 is natural. It is a part of filling the earth, a part of God's plan. It's something that shouldn't be despised, but prized. Why are there so many nations in the world? You know, big ones, China, small ones, the Dominican Republic. Why are there Mexican fajitas and Indian curries and Brazilian barbecue? Why is there Swedish, Swahili, Irish? 
Why is there salsa, hip-hop, Mary Wardance, Michael Flatley? Why in this church are there Romanians, Ukrainians, Mongolians, South Africans, Kenyans, Kerrymen? Why? It's all part of God's plan. Diversity. Now, it is good to work for cooperation. You know, it's good to work for peace between Russia and Ukraine. It, it is, but it's not going to fix the deepest issues. Our sin, the fact that we seek our own glory, actually the division between mankind and God. And certainly the way to fix the world is not to make everybody American or Irish, some sort of monochrome, one language, one culture. And if you know anything of uh, missionary work, there's some amazing missionary work has happened down the years, but some Western missionaries demanded their con converts to adapt to them, to wear their kind of clothing, to sing their kind of songs. Us, we shouldn't expect those from other cultures to just always adapt to how we do stuff in Ireland rather than accommodating. Man-made community cannot fix the world. We can't be all one culture. What is the solution? What is the solution to this world, to the situation here in Babel? Here's the third thing we're going to look at. God's diverse community. As chapter 11 goes on, verse 10 and onwards, again we see God's grace. Again, we see that God isn't done with mankind, that life continues. And again, do you remember, we're still waiting for the promised one who was mentioned back in Genesis 3, the one who was promised would fix the whole world. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12. We'll look more at it next time. And we find this. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Abraham's not told to make his own name or make his own security. No, God gives these things. He gives a name, a blessing, security, and it is for all. This blessing is for all the peoples. How is he going to fulfill this promise to reach a diverse world? Well, it's through the promised one who creates a new community that is a diverse community. Thousands of years later, a Jewish man was talking by a well to a Samaritan woman. And his friends, his disciples, came back to him and said, what are you doing talking with her, that racial mudblood? At another point, people were saying, don't let those children cry Jesus. Don't, don't bother him with them. He said, no, let them come to me. Another time, he's at a dinner party, and there's respectable Jewish people around him, and there's a prostitute washing his feet. And they go, doesn't he know what she is? 
and he commends her for what she's doing. There's another time where there's a Roman centurion, one of those who's the occupying enemy. He asked Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus does it, Jesus does it right away. Here is the promised one, drawing to himself, reaching out to a diverse group. Drawing to himself a new multi-ethnic, multi-racial, diverse community. People say sometimes Christianity is anti-diversity. Do they look at the promised one, Jesus Christ, when they say that? When he came, what do they find? He loves across the divides. Social, class, race, sexual. He ministers to this diverse selection of society. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, you know, I'm too different to be a Christian. Too sinful. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. He forgives. He changes our hearts that we might live for his glory and not our own. And that we might love his new community. That passion that Jesus had as he walked on this earth didn't finish when he left the earth. He continued to work through his spirit. And I'd love you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You'll find this on page 1093. Acts chapter 2. What's going on here is there's a big festival happening in Jerusalem. It's called Pentecost. There's people there from all across the world. They've come together for this festival. And at this moment, the disciples, they are gathered together, and Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to them. And what happens? Well, have a look at verse 4. All of them, that's all the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Fascinating, isn't it, that as... The Spirit comes to the disciples. They're equipped to spread the message of Jesus. They don't do it in one language. It's not a miracle of hearing, of ears by those who are listening, able to hear a language they never understood before. No. Those diverse people hear the wonders of God in their own language. The solution to us living for ourselves, seeking our own glory, seeking our own security, the, the solution to the world's divisions, to national disputes, to language confusion, is not a monochrome culture or one language or man-made solutions. 
It is the one Lord and Christ of all peoples. It is the one message of salvation, the message that those disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak of a Savior who loved them wherever they were from, who had died for them, who saves all who come to him and unites us together in love. Do you know that scene in Jerusalem? It was just a foretaste. A foretaste of the new creation. Come with me to Revelation chapter 7. Page 1238. 1238. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Here is the picture of the future. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. In verse 10, what were they crying out? Not let's build a city for ourselves, but salvation belongs to our God. He sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Or verse 12, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. God is creating a community that will continue into eternity, but it's a diverse community. It's Jesus's united nations. Where one day, all will long for Jesus's glory and his name alone and be utterly safe and secure. If, we're tr- if we've trusted in Jesus, whoever we are, whatever we're like, wherever we're from, whatever our country, our language, our background, our situation, we are part of this if we are trusting in Jesus. What does that mean for us now, today, this week? Well, let me give you two things. We should seek to display and live out God's diverse unity and community. So we'll prize community. Church will not be something that we go to, but it'll be something we are part of. We will love one another. We will cooperate together for Jesus' glory, not our own. We'll know that it's only Jesus who can unite and create such a diversity as us. And we'll prize that diversity. We'll not expect everyone to dress the same or like the songs that we like or even speak our language. We will love those who are like us and those who are not like us. We'll expect church to be diverse. And isn't this a wonder as we look around? That the people sitting around you, a lot of them aren't like you. How wonderful God is. Isn't that amazing? And, and so, you know, some churches, they segregate people into age groups. And you do church on a Sunday only in that age group. You meet in your groups only in that age group. You don't meet anybody else from different cultures or situations or backgrounds. That's a poor picture of what God is doing. 
God is calling to himself a diverse community. Here's the second thing. Second, we should seek Christ's glory. What we should want as individuals, as a church, is to see Jesus glorified, to use our gifts for good and for Jesus, to find our hope and security in Jesus. And we should want the nations to glorify him too. Our heart will be not to be settled, but to want to go out and to send others out to take our song of salvation to the world. Not to say, come, let us seek a name for ourselves. But to say, let's seek glory for Jesus and his name. Let me lead us in prayer. Father God, for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior this morning, as we look around, we praise you for the fact that you have called us into this community. We praise you that you have done that despite all that we are, our background, our situation, our failings, our sins. We praise you that you've done that despite the fact that we are so different from each other. And yet we wonder at the unity and the love and the, and the same calling that you've given us in Christ. Would you help us to rejoice in your work, this diverse community for Jesus' glory? And would you send us out to live for his praise and glory in the world that you've put us? For his glory and for the sake of the nations, we pray. Amen.